Hi, welcome to Total Rewind, a filmmaker's compass podcast where we take a look at movies 30 years and older and see if they still hold up. So I am D-Man, my co-host is CP. CP, how's it going today? I'm fantastic, man. How are you? Doing well. I'm really excited for our movie today because I think things are going to get, they're going to get pretty interesting. There's a lot to talk about with this movie. So I'll go ahead and introduce it. Let's just jump right into it. We are watching the Mel Brooks classic, or we're discussing the Mel Brooks classic, Blazing Saddles. So there's quite a few Mel Brooks films that have a cult following, have, you know, kind of stood the test of time, Young Frankenstein, Spaceballs, The Producers. Um, But Blazing Saddles is, you know, continually one that always gets brought up, especially when looking at his entire body of work. And I don't know if you want to speak a little bit about just like Mel Mel Brooks movies and kind of what he brings to the table, because it's pretty unique. Well, I mean, Mel Brooks is a comedic genius. And I think any filmmaker working in comedy, any stand-up comedian, has to owe a lot to what he brought to American audiences and our understanding of what comedy looked like. Yeah, it's interesting because even watching Blazing Saddles now, it had a little bit of a, I guess, a whiff of uh, Monty Python, like what they were doing mm-hmm. uh, in their movies, where obviously, again, if you're a comedian or even a you know comedy filmmaker, it's hard not to have seen those and at least take something away from it. But it's funny because, yeah, like I, I get this sense that he was doing something different than everyone else was doing. You can yeah. feel it. Absolutely. And obviously this film is a highly regarded comedy. Uh, The American Film Institute ranks it as I think the number six greatest comedy of all time. The Library of Congress has preserved the film as being historically and culturally significant. Like this is a big, like these are big milestone achievements for a comedy. And there were three uh, Academy Award nominees to come out of the film as well. Which is pretty impressive. Now, comedy. Yeah, I guess looking at it, you know, we've we've gone into our different segments. When you look at it culturally, like you've already kind of addressed that if you are a comedian or a, you know, comedy filmmaker, culturally it's hard not to acknowledge this film even all these years later because this came out in what 1974, I believe. 74. Yeah, so it's hard not to think that this movie has its place going forward as kind of a I guess like quote unquote a must watch right? For a lot of people, it's like, hey, you got to go back and check it out. It is weird, though, because when we're talking culturally, so this movie takes place in like the 1800s, but I'm sure you know, the right when, right from the get-go. I mean, the movie jumps in uh, with some derogatory racial terms. They're using words, I guess, that, you know, generally speaking, aren't even a part of our lexicon anymore. We don't, people still technically say them, but they're that's shunned. We don't do that anymore. And it was interesting because they they jump right into that out of the get-go. You get the sense that that was an issue in the film, race, that they really kind of wanted to tackle. Well, so Mel Brooks and Andrew Bergman were very conscious when making this film that they wanted to make a film set in the 1870s, but dealing with the issues of the 1970s. And Gene Wilder said it best. It's a film that punches racism in the nose and takes it straight on. And Mel Brooks has said time and time again, the only way to make a film about racism and really how stupid it is, is you have to address racism and have a lot of racist characters acting like racists do. That's what happens in the movie. 
And obviously it was incredibly controversial when it came out. It's very funny when you read about Warner Brothers kind of reaction to the first cut of the film. They pretty much wanted Brooks to go back and, well, reshoot everything. But they didn't. And we have this comedic masterpiece because he stood by his guns. In many ways, I actually think it's funny that a lot of the original complaints about the film weren't so much with the issues of racism and language. It was more of complaints with what I think we would consider the, the lowbrow uh, potty humor in the movie. Uh, Mel Brooks and there is, is very, some. Oh, he, they, Mel Brooks is totally proud of the fact that this is the first feature film to ever have someone fart in it. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a favorite. scene where they sit around like a campfire and like they're eating beans. And each person takes their turn as they yeah. go around, yeah. just like, you know, ripping ass. And it gets like progressively more intense, which I can I can only assume, right? I'm using my imagination, but that like each person around that campfire is like, I, if I'm next, I'm going to try to get the biggest one yet. <laughs> and, and Brooks talks about, too, the fact that uh, he was eating lunch at the commissary one day in the Warner lot, and he sat next to John Wayne. And John Wayne was like, hey, like, I hear you're shooting a Western. And he's like, John Wayne, like, yes, and I want you to be in it. Like, this is a parody of Westerns. Who better than John Wayne to be? And he's like, no way, man. I heard that this movie is like way too risque and potty humor. Like, I'm out, man. Which is kind of funny because that's the ultimate cowboy right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. John Wayne, of course. I mean, and it's funny because looking at the movie aesthetically, you know, I see that it is literally parodying Westerns through and against the conventions of that genre. So obviously it's taking on the, uh, you know, the entire mask of, of Westerns. It looks like one, it has that same film stock, um, but at the same time, they're taking all those conventions and kind of turning them on their head or, or you know, having a little fun yeah. with it, making it, like you said, some of it's lowbrow, it's just goofy. It's not even necessarily like, you know, showing, how bad something was sometimes it's just like it's just funny well and one of the things too a lot of the uh crew members involved with the film and the cast members really praise book brooks for the fact that during this movie he said we're gonna have a loose set it's gonna be a fun set and we're just gonna let everybody experiment and we're gonna see what comes out of this so this is essentially all the best cuts that they had all the best takes from the dailies all cut together in this, you know, movie that really, whatever your style of comedy is, there's something that you're going to find funny. Yeah. And I really do appreciate, you know, it's funny, especially the time we're in now, if I could imagine someone with a big following watching this movie that they either haven't seen before, or haven't seen in a long time and kind of throwing a fuss about it. And uh, this movie kind of getting dragged through that, like, you know, uh, cancel culture lens where everybody's going to take a look at it again. And I, in a way, I kind of hope it happens because that'd be cool. Everybody gets a chance to see this. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, yeah, it's interesting because when we look at race in this movie, you know, really quickly, it becomes clear that the people who are being racist are buffoons. They're stupid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're often, the only reason this even exists is power. But you see the other characters just kind of simply mock it and it's, you know, it's it's easy to just look at how how dumb it all is. And that I think that's the big power, especially early in the film, that they're able to show like these guys are really just they're just idiots with power. And they didn't earn that power, right? And that's what you know part of racism is about is that, you know, based on your race, you you're granted a certain amount of power. And I think that's what the movie acknowledges, but also is like, you know, just because you have power doesn't mean you either earned it or you deserve it. Mm -hmm. And they make them look stupid. 
So I think that pays off. And that to me is culturally relevant today, you know, knowing some of the conversations and things, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and all that that's going on. So I think, you know, the movie is definitely one that uh, could be a part of that conversation. Definitely. As Mel Brooks said, you know, you have to be able to laugh at these things to talk about them. You have to laugh at them to really realize the absurdity behind them. And that's what he tried to do. Yeah. And whether it, it fires on all cylinders all the time, maybe not. But the point is, yeah, you make that effort, you give it a shot, and hopefully you can have that conversation. And what makes it, I think, lasting and culturally relevant also as a comedy is the fact that Mel Brooks embraced so many different styles of comedy, right? There's physical humor, there's slapstick, there's witty banter, there's uh, tons and tons of fourth wall breaks, like 15 or 16 that no matter what your style of humor is, there's something that you're going to get a chuckle out of. Yeah, there was one thing that just, I don't know why, it just made me laugh. And it was when they go and invade the town and they're just like beating the crap out of everybody. Mm -hmm. And there's this shot where they're like beating the crap out of an old lady. And then she like makes a comment and then they just go back to like beating the crap out of them. <laughs> and I don't know why, but it was like, whoever wrote that was probably just like, how stupid. <laughs> Because, like, obviously it's an old lady and these guys are, like, these, you know, masculine Western cowboy guys, you know. And then the other thing is, like, in the middle of it, she just, like, stops and, like, makes a comment almost as if she's totally fine. <laughs> you know, she's, like, these big masculine guys are, like, hitting me, but, like, who cares? Mm -hmm. So that was funny. And then another thing, you know, you know, the movie in terms of culture, too. I remember they have a line, uh, badges, we don't need no stinking badges. <laughs> You know, and I, I've known that line probably most of my life. I don't know, you know, I didn't I don't think I always attributed it to this movie, but I've heard that line. It's a famous line. So that's still out there. That's a part of it. But yeah, it's weird because culturally, like you, you know, there's certain movies that it's like you go to a Dodger game, they have like Marvel night or like Star Wars night. They're not gonna have like a blazing saddles night, I don't think so. But that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> it would definitely be entertaining. Maybe they'll bring out some horses or something. But anyway, let's let's move on to kind of the editing, the score, um, some of the music, because ironically, music is actually kind of a big part of this movie. Well, and that's one of the Academy Award nominees was for the original score or the, the original theme, I mean. And the other one of the other nominations was actually for editing. So I think this is a very timely segue. Well, I think what is fascinating about the film is at the end of the day, I think the thing that catches me the most is like the fourth wall breaks. Mm -hmm. And so the end of the movie is, you know, spoiler alert, you should know already that if you're listening to this podcast, there's going to be spoilers, but <laughs> you know, by the end of the movie, what's really interesting to me is they literally like, not only do they break the fourth wall between a character and a viewer, but they actually like tear down a wall. <laughs> yeah, And it ends up that like the whole thing was like a big, charade or whatever and mm -hmm. the characters keep playing out their emotions but now they're in 1970 or whatever and they're on film sets and they're you know are what is it a back lot yeah yeah it's on the warner lot <laughs> so it, yeah it was weird because i've never seen anything like that and i assume that's something that you would have to kind of really have some balls to be able to pull that off that's not easy a lot of people could just right then just like reject or not reject reject the movie as just absurd well and obviously i think there was some backlash at the time if you read uh, criticisms from the 70s most people kind of didn't get it and thought it was weird and 
there's a lot of avant-garde elements to the film that uh, probably American audiences weren't ready for at the time. I think, though, it's really important because, again, those fourth wall breaks are so important in Brooks's message of talking about this story is set in the 1800s, but we're addressing issues that are happening in America today, audience. And well, I and I had to do that through the fourth wall breaks. They also do it through, I can't remember the name of what it's called, like an anachronism or something, mm-hmm. where that is taking place in the 1800s, but they're making comments about, you know, things that could, you'd only know if you were alive today. Yeah. You know, I think one of the ones that really stood out to me was like uh, one of the characters who is black, he says something like, well, I got to go. And he's like, this is my Jesse Owens moment, you know, (laughs) but it's supposed to be like the 1800s. And you're like, well, how are you, (laughs) how are you going to reference that? And yeah, I think that's actually one of the most interesting things about the movie is how it's edited in that way where they're constantly playing with the audience, breaking these walls, and then eventually spilling onto a film set. Mm -hmm. So, well, but the other thing though, the other thing too is like, while it's fun to acknowledge that, it really is somewhat absurd because it does make no sense. Yeah, it's really weird. It, it, you follow the story. The story from a plot structure is, is non-existent. But from an emotional beat perspective, the emotional beats that the audience is expecting in the end are achieved. Yeah. Right? They ride off into the sunset as we expect in a Western. It happens in a car. <laughs> and they do confront the villain of the film, uh, Headley Lamar, and um, our, our sheriff, you know, saves the day. Yeah, I don't know. That, that just, it was weird when I was watching it. You know, I've seen the movie before, although I haven't seen it in a while. I mean, just sitting there actually really giving it, you know, my full attention and, and being like, wow, uh, it was weird. Even though, like you said, I understand like what's going on, like what he's going for. But to that end, I don't, I still don't know if it actually plays out right. <laughs> I don't know. The final element of the movie that I want to talk about is the story. And I think you already said it best. It's pretty non-existent. They're building a railroad, and essentially the goal of the villains is to build it through this town to avoid quicksand. And that's it. After that, it's just like like crazy scenarios and how they can, you know, trick the townspeople or beat them into submission or blow it up or, you know, whatever they got to do. I don't know. It's weird because I actually, like you said, I, I felt the story really was just... It almost felt like theater. Like it was just there just to allow these other people to do their thing. Mm-hmm. That there really wasn't much of a story that it playing much more with genre conventions and fourth wall breaks and, and comedy than they are using powerful storytelling techniques to get across something other than the race thing was probably the one major thing I took away from the film. Well, it's hard because again, it is a film about racism and that was kind of the intention going into it. I guess originally Andrew Bergman's draft was actually not so much a comedy and he actually envisioned, believe it or not, James Earl Jones in this story about a black sheriff in this town set in the 1800s and like the issues that he dealt with. Well, and that's funny because like that's actually a a plot device is like in order to get the townspeople to leave, the villain actually makes a black person the sheriff because he thinks it'll just be terrible and like everybody will just leave, Mm -hmm. right? Isn't that his intention? Pretty much, so, you know, they want to just drive the folks out of the town. But again, this is a, it's a film about racism. So first and foremost, however, from the character of Bart, played by Cleavon Little, 
and the character of the kid played by Gene Wilder, when we look at both of their individual arcs, both of them find redemption. Both of them overcome the challenges before them and grow, right? Bart is Mm -hmm. successful in winning the townsfolks over, right? He defends the town. He he earns their respects. And then, I mean, it's not like he, in, in a much more Gary Cooper high noonish moment, he then rides off and says, all right, I'm on to right more wrongs. Like, I'm not here to stick, stick around and because it's not like we're <laughs> friends. I came to do a job and I did it. For the Waco kid, he is this down on his luck gunfighter who, you know, lives out he's of past his glory days. Yeah, he's past his glory days. And this is kind of his one shot at proving that he's still got enough in the tank of what he used to be. And again, at the, you know, he comes through in key moments through supporting Bart, through saving the town in multiple occasions. Like those characters have completed arcs. It's it's a thread and it's very minimal, but there's something there. Yeah, fair enough. I guess finally then, when you think about if they, we were to show this to, you know, some kids today or, or even, you know, people who haven't just seen the movie, I mean, do you think it holds up? Is it something that you think, not necessarily that a movie has to deliver the same impactful punch it had in its own time. Do you think people would still enjoy it the way it was intended? I think that's a really kind of a loaded question. In some ways, this film may be as important now as it was when it was made in the 70s for the issues that, that it, it is trying to address and using comedy to make force us all to look at these, these truths in the world. However, because of cancel culture and the world that we live in, I think in some ways, and especially the war on comedy, this film is really, I think, at risk of falling victim to people who don't understand the satire, who don't understand what it's truly about. On the surface, it should be canceled. On the surface, it is blatantly offensive. But when we peel it back and look at what it's saying, looking at the bigger meaning that it has, looking at the messaging and the way that it delivers it, uh, it's a really important film. Now, the sociological stuff aside, if we just look at it as a comedy, I think it's a really well-made comedy. And it, and it shows there are some of the greatest comedic actors in the history of cinema in this film. And, you know, you look at Harvey Corman, you look at Madeline Kahn, and, and their performances are something to be marveled at by anyone who is a fan of comedy or an aspiring comedian themselves. It's kind of tough, and I'm torn, and I think that, I guess my answer would be this. You know, does it hold up? Uh, yes and no. Would I show it to my kids? I guess my answer would be I'd wait five years and once this whole idea of anything that ever once remotely offended someone is is kind of uh, rolled back and we can learn to laugh at ourselves and laugh at funny things again, then I think this is a great film and I think everybody should watch it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoyed watching it. And for the lessons that it does, you know, the conversations and stuff that it does bring to the table, it seems worthwhile that I think people should check it out. But unfortunately, I think it's a movie where, like you said, I don't necessarily think it holds up the way that it was originally kind of intended. I think if you were to show it to people today, people might get a little bored. Like you said, I think most people aren't probably watching this looking too deep into it. Mm-hmm. For all of you know the things that it does really well, I, I feel like if I were to show this to my friends and be like, oh, you guys got to watch this movie, I could literally see them getting bored with it and starting to talk during it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't necessarily think it holds up. I mean, I would like to see 
you know, maybe somebody take up that mantle and do maybe more of a modern day type thing that would kind of update it. It's must, it's must, must watch viewing. If like we mentioned at the top, you're going to be a comedian, right? You have to pay homage to those who came before you and the ones who laid the groundwork. And this film is definitely one of those films. So it rightfully deserves, you know, its place on, you know, the Library of Congress list and AFI and all that. I just don't know if for casual viewing, I, I really, I don't think it holds up. No, that's understandable. Speaking of modernizing it, I did hear, obviously, Mel Brooks is getting up there in age. But yeah, I did he looks it too. He does, uh, I guess, intend to create a stage version of this, as he's done with some of his other plays. So that would be curious i think especially given again as we said kind of the moment that we are in american history right now i think that would be really challenging but it would be kind of interesting to see if something came of that well and the cool thing is like if mel brooks actually did it he has kind of that uh that credibility to where like he could push the boundaries and i think people would respect it because they know what he's about versus you know if you just get like i don't know somebody that most people don't know you're like i don't know and i think you know <laughs> I think the other really interesting thing about the film is it does illustrate how hard comedy really is. Yeah. How good, you know, there, there's a quote that I'm butchering, but essentially, you know, with actors, they talk about how it's really easy for a dumb person to play a smart character. Okay. But it's really hard to play a dumb one. And I think it's kind of the same thing in comedy in the sense that I think so many filmmakers, and especially people who have nothing, no understanding of the industry, just always assume that it's easy to be funny. And this yeah. movie is, is, I think, in a lot of ways, testament to that it's not. You really have to be smart. And you watch it critically, and you realize that Mel Brooks is doing some really genius things as a comedian, as a filmmaker, and as a storyteller that we take for granted. Again, when we watch it through the lens of satire, the movie is totally different than when we just kind of watch it as a regular popcorn movie and we're not reading too deep into what's happening. And I think that unfortunately, an uninformed audience going to see it misses out on so much of the value. Yeah, I also think it's worth noting too that the Western genre has also kind of fallen to the wayside. That's maybe not, if you were to do a modern updated kind of a version of something like this, you might even pick a different genre. You might do a gangster movie or you know like you might do something a little bit different that you know is more in the cultural zeitgeist where at that time you know westerns were still huge john wayne was probably one of the biggest mm -hmm. you know uh celebrities on the planet westerns have you know if there's one genre that has fallen pretty far it's probably the western true and, and that's a good point and probably another reason why present day audiences are going to find the movie a little more boring as you mentioned than in the past yeah well especially because yeah if you grew up on westerns and you even to this day if you still really like them then you're going to see the fun they're having with those conventions but if if you're not into that and it doesn't seem like a lot of our culture is anymore it, it's just not gonna it's not gonna have the the hit that it did back when it were originally released i don't know that's my two cents like i said i feel like it's definitely a movie that uh earns its place but i don't know if it really holds up with today's audience so much fair enough so on that note tell us what you think have you seen Blazing Saddles? What are your thoughts? You know, let us know. You can find me at NDCal5. You can find him at Big Kid D Man. And of course, you can hit up the show at Film Comp Podcast pretty much anywhere that, well, 
you're on social media. You can also Google the show, Filmmakers Compass Podcast. You'll find our website, and that'll have the links to everything. So, CP, I'm going to throw it over to you. What are we going to be doing on the next Total Rewind? Next episode of Total Rewind, we are rewinding the clock back even further. We are watching the sci-fi classic from 1956. I just spaced on what it is, so give me a second. <laughs> Forbidden Planet. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's an awesome movie. Check it out. We'd love to know your thoughts. And, um, you know. Well, it's Total Rewind. So, you know, if uh, you're going to tune in to next week's episode, I'd actually, I would bet money that most people haven't seen Forbidden Planet, myself included. So give it a watch before next Tuesday, before next week's episode. And that way, when you uh, tune in, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. All right, everybody. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. Like CP said, be sure to keep the conversations going, like, comment, and share, and help us increase engagement. On that note, we'll see you next week.